a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. Go check them out. We are grateful for their support. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this weekly podcast. And uh, Dr. Matt, last week's podcast, wow. A lot of fun, huh? Oh, a lot of fun, a lot of tears, uh, a, a lot of hope, a lot of inspiration. Uh, I've had so many people reach out to me. Lots of engagement on Facebook. And uh, social. And lots of people, you know, I, I knew it would be big. Yeah. I knew it would be an important, it's an important episode, I think just on its own because of the topic of mental health and And if you just joined us now and don't know who we're talking about, it was Big Buddha. Big, yeah. Formerly of Fox 13, he came in to talk about a failed suicide attempt, finding himself. And and, and, and it's fresh. He's just barely in that beginning of that recovery from having a major mental health episode. And and you could see how raw it was for him. Uh, and, and I remember before we started the podcast and I, and, and I asked him, I was like, are you sure you want to do this? And he goes, yes, I have to. Because he has that persona of being just big and happy and, yeah. and he is. Uh-huh. But then like everybody else, he has other sides to him and, and he showed those on the show. And I think that's probably the most raw people have seen and heard of Big Buddha. I mean, he, he, He's an inspiration to so many because he's, he's lived his uh, weight loss battles on air for so long. And a lot of people looked up to him for that. Yeah. And, 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 and very open and honest about it. But, I mean, some of the things that he detailed on the podcast were so raw and so vulnerable that I was just like, wow, man, this is absolutely amazing. Yeah. One of my favorite jokes that I heard him say one time was when he was losing weight and he was talking about the protein shakes and he was like, you know, I didn't think those would be very good, but after you drink about 12 of those, it really (laughs) fills you up. (laughs) I just love his sense of humor. He's so funny. Such a charismatic guy. And it was like the dynamic duo of Utah uh, news reporting, having both of you guys in. We were the OGs, the original gangsters. Yeah, you guys did so much uh, over the last... 10 to 20 years in the state of Utah, people, I think, loved having the two of you together sit down and talk. It was an honor that he chose this platform to to first reveal his story and his struggles. And so to him, I want to say thank you again for allowing us to be a part of your story and your healing. I remember when I said, hey, look, you don't have to, you know, and he goes, I have to. And I go, why? And he goes, it's part of my healing. It is. And you could tell that was, uh, he's he was taking that very seriously. He's in therapy and he said his therapist really thought he ought to share his story because that's part of what he does. And you, he's one of those guys that you just love to be around because you feel his love for other people. Very infectious. Very, very much so and easy to connect with. I, I really appreciate him being on the show. So do you want to hear about um, my thoughts on anxiety or about a guy trying to beat me up at the gym? Uh, oh, Jim, I want to hear that. Well, yeah, Josh and I want to hear both. Okay, so I was at the gym and I was working out with my group and every morning we work out. Yep. This point in the morning it was just me and another guy okay uh we're gonna call him little buddy you're gonna understand why in just a second all right um but we're working out we're working out and i see this guy and he's looking at me and i'm looking at him and 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 it's kind of like that awkward stare like that kind of mean mugging you know what i mean like where they're trying to figure staring you down figure you out size you up yeah and so i'm doing it back to him you know what i mean And, and, and so we're doing that and then uh all of a sudden, I walk by. and You I, haven't gotten to the stink eye level yet. I don't just, think just, it's the stink eye. Okay. And, but maybe it was, and I just missed it. little stink eye, not the evil eye. Yeah. And just, so, okay. So, I, so we're getting ready to go to the next lift. And uh-huh. so I, I, I'm like, I'm going to break the levity of this. And so I walk by him, and I give him the universal dude nod. What's oh, up? yeah. Yep. And, What's up, the chin nod? And yeah. he doesn't do anything back. Oh, no and chin. And so then I walk oh, past okay. him. That's and not he, a good sign. I walk past him, and he goes, hey. And I go, and I turn around, I go, what? He goes, hey, we got a problem? And I go, I, go I, I don't think so. I said, all I said was, hey. And he goes, you don't say hey to me. 
And I said, what? That's a lot of anger for yeah. 6 o'clock in the yeah. morning. You and, know? I was like, and I was like, well, I'm sorry. I just said, hey. He goes, you don't say hey to me. And I go, can I ask why? And he goes, if you want to go outside. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I go, yeah. And I go, nah, I'm cool. I don't want to go outside. He goes, I don't like you or your little buddy. <laughs> and I went, okay. All right. He said, so don't say hi to me. Uh, okay. Wow. And so then we walked by, and my little buddy's bigger than me. And I was like, he called you little. He goes, he called me little? <laughs> He's, he was excited. And, and I was thinking to myself, and, and I, I wanted to go, man, I'm 48 years old. Yeah. I don't want to go out into the parking lot unless <laughs> no. you're selling steaks out of your trunk. Yeah, no You know way, what I mean? I don't right? want to go out there yeah. and fight. I don't no. I don't have that in me anymore. You've never been a fighter. You're a lover, not a fighter. But in my younger years, I was kind of a, a brawler in, okay. in like high school and early college. I, I have was, a hard time seeing it, but I, all right. I was, I was, and that's what my girlfriend well, said. Well, Ogden High. Yeah, but I was known to fight and, <laughs> yeah. and, and often throw the first punch. Wow. It had to. Yeah. But I was like, uh, and I just was like, I'm 48, man. I got love handles. I wax my nose every six weeks. No, man, this is not a guy you want to go out in the parking lot and beat up. Come on, man. Wow. Yeah, I was. I was like, huh. You know what that tells me, though? I mean, that's sort of sort of the sad side of that story is that there are so many people with so much angst inside for various lots of different reasons. They're holding it in. And, and and it it's just it overflows sometimes. And here's this guy who is doing something good. He's working out yeah. early in the morning, but but unfortunately he's carrying around a lot of a lot of anger. That's too bad. And and I wanted to I I, I mean I, I I want to talk to him and go hey look man I don't know if we got off have on you ever the, seen him at the gym I, before I see him all the time I saw him this morning oh okay yeah and okay. And, and we did the the hundred yard stare at each other and didn't say anything you know did what you, I mean just say hey no I didn't say <laughs> hey. okay. But I was getting, my buddies were going to get me a shirt that says, don't say hey to me. <laughs> and I was going to wear it to the gym. But then go. I was like, that was the old Casey. That would be poking the bear. And I was like, I don't yeah. want to poke the bear. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I just, I, I, I kind of want to just go, look, I don't know if we got off on the wrong foot. I don't know what's going on. Is there anything I can help? But I don't think he wants any of that. You know what no, I mean? And no. so I just have to let it go. I'd give him space. Yeah. But the old Casey was like, why don't you like me? Now, here's the real truth. I don't care if you like me or not. You don't affect my day-to-day operations or, or how I live. Right. It's just unfortunate that now we've got to kind of do this dance around the gym so we're not next to each other. Yeah, it's a little weird, huh? Yeah. Bring him on the show. Bring him on the show. <laughs> hey, do you want to come on my podcast? Actually, that would be a great idea. Just when when you, when you ask him, stay stay arm's length apart. Like yeah. don't, don't get too close. Well, truth be told, you, you want to get in closer because it's harder to hit somebody if you're in closer. Uh, see, I don't know. I don't know how to yeah. do all that fighting stuff. And the other thing I wanted to talk about. So I'm getting ready, leaving tomorrow on the super uh, secret mission that I'm going with my top family. Secret family es- escapade. And I can't wait to tell you about it. It's it's going to be really cool when you come back. When I come back. All right. Uh, and. Um, but it's me and my kids. We're going to be gone for a week. And I was talking to my ex-wife. And she goes, how you feeling? I go, I'm a little anxious. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. And she goes, oh, you're going to be okay. And I go, no, I, I get that I'm going to be okay. But I'm still a little anxious and nervous. And that yeah. got me thinking on the way down here is that there's so many times that people want to tell you what's going on with them. And our instant response is, it's going to be okay. Now, now I, I know why we do that because we feel like we're going to make them feel at ease and maybe they don't know that. But I know that I'm going to be okay because all the stuff I've been through, I can do hard things. Sure. But what I wanted was somebody to go, yeah, I bet. I bet. It's and a I, little uh, – no, no offense to – because we've all said it. We've yeah. all said, oh, it's going to be okay. But it's a little invalidating to the person's feeling who, who's feeling stressed or feeling anxious or worried to just say, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Obviously, the intention is what you said. We're trying to make them feel better. But it does invalidate a little bit the, their experience, what they're going through. It's it's a little better to just say something empathetic like, yeah, this is a big deal. I bet I bet you're feeling nervous. Tell me about it. You yeah. know, like invite somebody to, to have a little catharsis and, and dump a little bit of their anxiety. Yeah, and, 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 I'm, not, and I'm not talking smack on my ex-wife. And no, I'm, no, I'm no, just no. Saying, she was doing – I think we do that in general. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're walking down uh, – the street and you say hey how are you doing and you don't even stop to find out how they're doing it just seems like to, a greeting yeah you know yeah. I mean, just like a throwaway and i and i like what you're saying kind of invalidating if you ask somebody how they're doing you should at least give them the respect to answer right it should be a sincere thing if if you take the time 
Yeah. So, so tell us, Casey, what are you what are you anxious about? I I, I'm going to be gone with my kids for seven days. Right. I'm going to a foreign country. I was going to say, can we say it's out of the country? Yeah. A, it's a trip. Yeah. It's a but trip. foreign country. I, is your ex-wife nervous you're taking the kids uh, to another country? No, because she, she knows that I'm, I'm a scrapper and yeah, yeah. That, that I'll take care of them and they're my number one priority. But this, to be honest with you, to go back to recovery, because that's what this podcast is about, this is the first time that I've been with uh-huh. all my kids by myself on a vacation, completely sober, yeah. and, and I'm the I'm the adult. Yeah, you know, what I mean, before I had my ex wife, or I've had my girlfriend, I've had backup. I yeah. mean, but this is just me. It's all on you. And when people hear the story, they'll realize this isn't just a vacation. Like, yeah, like this is. It's not like you're headed to a resort to hang out. No. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's a kind of a big deal. We've got some things to do. We've got to accomplish stuff, and uh, I mean, it's it, it might be a little rough. I think it's gonna be a lot rough. Yeah. So I here's the funny thing. So. Um, I can tell you that they're filming this. Yeah. And so my son was talking to the producer. And if I've already told you this story, stop me. But my son's up there talking to the producer. And me and the girls are downstairs listening. And we're just laughing. And so we he's on speaker. And the producer goes, so, Bowden, what do you think you bring to the team? <laughs> this is the best. He goes, speed. I bring speed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, that is so awesome. And then, and then the phone hangs up, and he comes down, and he's got this Cheshire grin. He's just smiling. And I go, hey. Um, like, hey, Flash, what's up? I go, hey, who told you you're fast? He goes, no one, Dad. I just know. I just know. <laughs> and I go, you're not fast, man. <laughs> Bowden doesn't really seem like the speedy type to me. But, and so this but I love that he thinks yeah, he is. So this adventure we're going on right now is, it's funny to see it through their eyes. My oldest daughter, she's a little bit nervous. Uh, Frankie, she's she's kind of like, okay, we'll see what happens. And Bowden thinks he's going to Disneyland. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And so, <laughs> I think he's, he's on his own wavelength, yeah, I think, I think most when he the gets time, there, yeah. he's going to be like, whoa, Dad, this is what, this is what you, you didn't promise this. We didn't sign up for this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's well, a mouse, yeah, let but me his name ain't Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of mice, I bet, where you're going. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, though. Yeah looping back then to recover so this like you said this is your first time taking the kids like vacation ish Mm -hmm. like out of the country all by yourself without drinking you'll be sober the whole time yeah what pick tell me one thing if you if your anxiety gets high yeah because you've had panicked attacks before you're prone to some of that if you're there and it's stressful in the past you might have gone for a drink what do you what's a tool What's a skill you're going to use now to like calm and, and ground yourself? Breathing and meditation. Okay. I mean, it really, it's the square breathing that really, you know, it, it, it slows me down. That's one, of, that's one of your staples that you like the square breathing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just slow my body down and realize that whatever is happening to me right now will pass. And, and what that pass. does is it regulates your heart rate which sends a message to your adrenal glands to chill out. Adrenaline dries up and your muscles relax. And and so practicing that kind of breathing is a great skill you can use anywhere. So no wonder it's one that, that you rely on. Before, I would be thinking, how quick can I get to a bar? How quick can I get to the room to the mini bar? Or, or, or just trying to figure out. Right. And, and, then, and then you know what that did? That would monopolize my thoughts all my energy of how to get to a drink. And then you know what that does? That takes me out of being present with my kids and what's going on. And yep. so that those well, it are the, robbed you of those kind of experiences. And, and, and this experience is one that we're going to be able to talk about for the rest of our lives. Okay? Yeah, it's, I'm excited for you to yeah, come on and tell us about good. it. Yep. So that's just a little insight into my world. And that's normally how we start a podcast here on Project Recovery. If you're just joining us uh, and if you are, thank you for joining us. Uh, we do one every week. Uh, I am Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. And our guest today is Miriam S. How are you? 
Oh, just fine and wonderfully blessed and also very excited about being with you guys. And, 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 what and a pleasure. We were talking about the energy infection and infectiousness of Big Buddha. Oh, she's got it. Oh, she does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she walked in there. And like we've been in here before where we do this prelogue, this monologue where we talk back and forth. Yeah. And, and our guests just sit there in silence. But you notice Miriam, she was jumping right in. She was like, hey, mics are on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. She wanted to jump in. Well, I'm excited to have her on the show today. She's so going to share gonna some good find stuff. Out about Miriam's story and about a wonderful program called Al-Anon. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today is Miriam S. How are you? Just fine, thank you. Now, let me ask you, uh, it's kind of a personal question. Yes. But how young a lady are you? You know, the the interesting part about it is that if you ask me my age, I don't know. Because age has never been a factor for me. It has never been important. Because I feel as young as ever. And as a matter of fact, my life is even better now than it was before. Uh, Wonderful answer. (laughs) Probably a bad bad analogy to use on a recovery podcast, but you're like a fine wine. Yes. (laughs) You're aging. Getting better. Right? Yeah. Yes. And so let's, where does the story of Miriam S. begin as it relates to uh, addiction? And uh, I, I know you're, you're not an addict, correct? No. Uh, but where does your story begin? My story begins when I was confronted with a member of um, a loved one that started doing drug addiction. And um, in my family, there has never been a history of addiction, alcoholism, nothing. So I was totally ignorant. I couldn't recognize the signs. I didn't know, even if I could have had in front of me, you know, cocaine or whatever, Mm -hmm. or heroin, I would not have recognized it. And therefore, a lot of the things I didn't see. And um, So would you say you were pretty naive? Very, very naive. I didn't know what, um, I, did, I, I knew a little bit about AA, but I didn't know about NA or uh, all of the other programs, the 12-step programs that are here to help people. So did you grow up in the States? No, I didn't. Where did you grow up? I, I was born in Guatemala, in Central America. And when did you come to the U.S.? I married a um, a person who was working at the embassy, mm-hmm. doing embassy duty, and so I came in as an adult, 21 years old, yes. So growing up in Guatemala, did uh, alcohol, was it prevalent? Was it around your house? Was it around, you know, the kind of circle of people you hung with, or was it just kind of non-existent? It was non-existent because we were very religious, and therefore it was not something that we saw. Now, we saw it on the streets. We saw people who were, you know, uh, to the point that they were on the streets living, you know, and drunk and everything else. But we didn't, we didn't understand the problem. We didn't know what it was or anything of that nature. Now, I also had an uncle that was at that level. And that uncle would come and at times would come uh, to visit my father and uh, he would ask for food and clothes and shoes because he would be on the streets and everything would be stolen from him. And that was my first encounter, but really we didn't live with him. So therefore, we didn't see the effects. We didn't know. We didn't really understand what the, the problem was. I think a lot of families would relate to your story. You know, there are a lot of families, especially here in the Salt Lake community, 
that uh, because of religious beliefs, they don't have any direct experience right. with drugs and alcohol. And, and they may have a, a distant relative or they, they of course, we, we know that it exists. But as far as it being a personal in your home or with your friends. So I think that kind of growing up without any knowledge, being somewhat naive to all of that's pretty common. And therefore, when you are faced with it, you don't know what to do. You, we you, don't you, have the tools. Like you said, you don't know the no. signs. We don't yeah. We don't recognize it. We don't have the tools. We don't know who to go to, which programs are available. It is a total ignorant position to be in. And it feels like they hit you with a hammer on the head. Yeah. And you're bleeding and you're hurting and you're crying and you don't know where to go. Now, I was attending church. That That was the interesting part about it. I was attending church and I couldn't open my heart to tell anyone. I didn't tell my pastor. I didn't tell my friends. I, to this point, I have not even told my family. Some of my, most of my relatives do not know what I went through because what it felt like, it was just like I was at one point here. I was fine. All of a sudden, I, I, I know that there's a problem and now I don't know what to do. And then I fall into a trap of going to hell. And then I discover that that hell is not enough. And then I go to a second level. And then I go to the third and fourth and fifth to the point that I was asphyxiating. I didn't know how to come out of that hole because I was ashamed. I was hurt. I was confused. And I didn't have the tools how to do something about it. Now, when I came, someone graciously told me about Al-Anon. And when I first went into the Al-Anon room, I was crying. I was desperate. I was without hope. So I'm going to stop right there because crying, desperate, and without hope. That sounds like everybody who's been an addict before. That's what got them to their recovery. That's what got them to Mm -hmm. their recovery. Rock bottom, if you will. You know what I mean? Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Now, mm-hmm. here's somebody who doesn't have an addiction, right. but is crying, but hopeless, yep. and scared, yes. and doesn't know what to do. So the same thing that you are feeling is the same thing that an addict is feeling. Right, right. But you have no other coping skills because you're not addicted to a substance. Right, right. And I don't have those friends either. So I can identify. I can relate. So when I went into Al-Anon, I had the wrong perception of what Al-Anon was. And what was that perception? The perception was I was going to learn how to make my loved one better. I was going to get the tools and the knowledge as to how to cure them, how to make them feel better. And so I went in. Big shock. <laughs> and that was probably your hope, too, right? That was like, my hope. Yeah, you that was wanted, my prayer. That, of yeah, course, that's what we I want our do. loved ones to get yes, better. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and by that time, uh, there have been suicide attempts several times. There have been um, emergency rooms to the hospital. There have been uh, therapies, inpatient and outpatient. There was medication, and nothing was helping for my loved one. How okay. how long of a span of time did your up to the point of you going to Al-Anon? Was that months or years of struggle for your loved one? Probably, see, without me knowing how far mm-hmm. it had gone before, but from without once, recognizing it. Once I recognized it, mm-hmm. probably about two years that I kept a secret, one year to, to see. Two and years. you said you kept a secret because of shame, uh, guilt, and you didn't know what to do. And so you right. were trying to build a house without any tools. You were trying to exactly. fix a house without exactly. any tools. Exactly. See, and I am all for faith, okay? I'm a very religious person. I go to my church. I have my friends. I have praying friends. And I thought that somehow that was going to be enough. But what happens is that I believe that faith is important, okay? Mm-hmm. That is absolutely a must. And it is even taught in the, all of the 12-step programs. They're very spiritual. Mm-hmm. So... But the second thing that you have to have is tools. How to be okay in the middle of chaos. How to be okay in the middle of your hell. How to be okay in the middle of what you're experiencing daily. How to put boundaries and how to make them, you know, 
boundaries. You do not step over the, this. The, and you're right because wh- that's so hard because you, you've said it. This is a loved one, mm-hmm. someone you love. Right. It's it's difficult and new for us to set hard boundaries with somebody yes. that we love. Right. Usually we become enablers. Mm-hmm. I mean, an enabler person is someone that covers for them, lies for them, pays their bills, you know, tells them they're okay, they're going to be okay, allow them to stay home and allow them to do things not working and everything else. So an enabler could be a grandmother, a mother, a brother, a sister, a friend, a wife, a spouse, you know, whomever. And we need to understand that that is not the route for healing for them. And so... But I think a lot of people enable... There's a, there's a lot of reasons why, but it's yeah. it, but it's, it's just, love. It, it's, it's just, love. Yeah, it's love and guilt, and Maybe. it's selfish. <laughs> it's selfish because you're enabling them so you don't have to feel bad. Does think, that make sense? I think it can be that for sure. I also think though, in the beginning, a person doesn't. You're using the tools you have. Mm-hmm. So so we love each other in our families, in our close friends. And that's how we show support. And like, okay. if you're struggling, you know, some, you, you, I want to love you and, and support you and help you. And, and that works for the normal, typical struggles that we have, right? Not for an addict who's a master manipulator. But, yes, but exactly. Then, oh, but then great. when addiction oh. comes in, those tools don't work. And in fact, they become counterproductive. Right. They become tools and, for the addict. And they become, yes, exactly. they become they enabling, right? Yeah. And so it's hard to know, I think, as a family member or as a friend, when did we cross that line? When did my loving help become enabling? It's right. sometimes hard to know. Yes, it is. And so one of the first things that I learned in the Al-Anon is the serenity prayer. And let me tell you, the serenity prayer is something that I use almost every day in my life. For those who don't know or have never heard the serenity prayer, would you give it to us right now? Absolutely. It has three components that are important to me. And yes, we will repeat it together mm-hmm. because I'm sure that you know it. I, I know it, but not <laughs> verbatim. I don't. Uh, but I, 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 I think about it often and yeah, I uh, you know, I, I understand it. So we'll just give it to us. Right. It asks for the serenity to accept the things. First, it says God, because on our own, and God in Al-Anon in all of the 12 steps means your higher power. Mm-hmm. Whomever your higher power you believe in. Because it, Al-Anon and, and all of those other programs, it does not have a religion, okay? So anyway, as your higher power, God, to me is God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't not change. And grant me the wisdom to know the difference because also grant me uh, the knowledge, the understanding as to what I can change. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a specific, God grant me the serenity to, to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Because a lot of the times, you know that there must be a change, but you have no idea where to go to. And so that's where wisdom comes in, because the lines are so fine. Oh, yeah. You don't know when you, you should You say fine, push. I say blurry. yes. You don't know when to push and when to pull. allow. You know, what to do and when not to do. And if we go today, yes, you know, you cannot drink in my house, but the following day you have a party and you're serving alcohol, guess what? It doesn't work. It does not work. So therefore, your lines, if you decide on a certain line or a boundary, you need to have the courage to stick to it and make it work. To hold that line. To hold that line. Because if not, as you mentioned, master manipulators. I have never seen the wonderful. <laughs> it's alcoholics. a skill. Yes, alcoholics and drug addicts, they are wonderful at that skill. And let, let, let me read We're something. We're going to make you take a break for yes, just yes. one second. We come back. We're going to talk about your first experience in an Al-Anon room. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Miriam S. And uh, you were just talking about the first time you walked into an Al-Anon room. Now, the reason you went is because you thought they were going to give you the tools to help your loved one who was in active addiction. Right. 
But that's not what Al-Anon does. No, 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 no. So you went in there with one idea. What did you get when you were there? When I got there, I found out that there were people who were go- who were at a state of mind at peace, even though the relatives were doing addiction. Not to me. That was wow. What happened? You know. And what it is is. Did you did you want to say to yourself, how can you guys be at peace when Absolutely. everything is just so chaotic? I, yeah, you just got done saying you basically had gone down Dante's nine levels of hell. <laughs> yes. You know, you were not more, at probably. peace at all, <laughs> no, no, no. right? I and, didn't even know there were that many levels to it. So that would be shocking to to come into a room and see. I bet you were curious. How did they find this peace? Right. And one of the beautiful things about the Al-Anon program is that. Um, they, they have different languages, Spanish, French, and also English, and they uh, have beautiful literature. They also have a program about Alatin, uh, and Alatin is for the teenagers. Okay. Wonder is the same 12 steps that they hold their meetings. And what it is also, um, they have people, Amias, they're called. They're people who are qualified. They are, um, you know, fingerprinted and everything else. We do a background history on them so that they can work with the teens. But they're just there to observe uh-huh. and to guide and to make sure that they're okay and safe. But the ALA teen members hold their own meetings. Fabulous. And their stories that they tell, I tell you, is fascinating. But anyway, yes. You walk into the room and you're hoping they're going to help you fix your loved one who's in active addiction. Right. But they have a different idea. So they have a different idea, and they tell me now how to be okay in spite of someone being in active addiction. Now, that to me was a saver because I understood through the program and also before that that I cannot change anybody. The only person that I can change is me, my attitudes, my thoughts, my walk, whatever. But I cannot force my beliefs and my desires upon someone else because they're a free person. They were given by our creator the ability and the power to choose for themselves what they want to be and what they want to do in their lives. Now, the thing is that, yes, we do have a choice, but there are also consequences. And see, the addict does not realize of the consequences. And sometimes they even, even go into denial. They don't even know if or they don't want to accept the fact that they are an addict. And this is where it gets a little murky for a lot of people who don't really understand addiction. Uh, yeah, there was a choice to pick up that drug. There right. was a choice to pick up that drink. There was uh, a, a choice that they made and they did it. And the consequences is you, you, some people get out alive. Some people get out without any harm. Some people become an addict. Right. And, you know, when you were talking about that, um, I'm a firm believer in the addict brain. And the addict brain will take over, and it yes. will make you do things that you thought Absolutely. you would never do. Yes. It will rationalize. It will. It it it, it it's, it's a beast. It really is. Right. And all of a sudden, you're doing things that you swore you would never do, that were not right. in your DNA, not how you were brought up, or what you could ever imagine yourself doing. Mm-hmm. And there you are doing them to feed your addiction. Right, right. Uh, the addiction gets to be so powerful that the brain, the only thing that he can think of is uh, the next high. How to get it. Where can I get it and when can I get it? See, the interesting part about it is that the addict person does not think about, they don't have time to go to a meeting, to go to counseling, but they do have a time to wait for hours upon hours waiting for the person to go and get the drug for them or they go and get it themselves. They're hiding from the police. They're hiding from the friends. They're hiding from the family. Okay. Yeah. They spend that time. They do have <laughs> They're that very time. dedicated <laughs> yes. to that one task. That one task. Yeah. And then the brain, as I understood, and please correct me, sir, the brain goes into one track, and the only thing that wants is the next high. They don't care about family. They don't care about work. They don't care. And they don't even experience joy unless the, that rush of the drug is in their system because now they cannot enjoy a sunshine, I mean, a sunset. A sunrise. They yeah. can even enjoy the smile of a child. You're, isn't that sad but very true? It is. You, you it said is. it very well that it robs a person of all the beautiful things, beautiful of, things life. of life. It, it makes uh, them lose to some degree their humanity Correct. because connections with other people and with mm-hmm. nature 
all of that takes a back seat, if not gets tossed right out the window, uh, because the brain is such a powerful force in that one track mind to get to their next place. I will say that when you talk to a person, I think the hellish part of this is that if you talk to them in their addiction, they will say, I do love my family. I do want to enjoy sunsets, but I can't. Right. It, it is it is not important to me. I can't put the time into it. I have to have this other thing. So they have that internal struggle. They know they're missing out. They know that they're, they would like to have that other life that they maybe used to have, but they can't. They're all consumed with finding the next fix. And and that what a horrible prison, mental and emotional prison that is for people. Right. You know, and, and one of the things that in all of the these programs they tell you is that the consequences usually are jail, hospitals hospitalizations, and even death. And they lose their families. They you know the children end up in foster care because mm-hmm. there's the parent is not present. The parent is not providing. The parent is not there. And now we have generations of young children and adult, uh, and young and the youth who are acting like adults because they have to. Mm-hmm. And they end up in a foster home. They end up angry and hurt. It is sad. And that can perpetuate the cycle of yeah. use and abuse and addiction right. that um, those those kids uh, start off life with so much anger stress abandonment issues that they want to numb out those feelings themselves and often they turn to using substances as well exactly. and of course if it's that's the only it, life they know if you have a inherited predisposition then they that's can the get hooked into addiction as well so mm-hmm. it's a generational cycle unfortunately Miriam let me ask you this uh like in recovery uh usually the addict will go through what we call an aha moment where they go oh i get it and then they'll start to find their recovery and they'll start moving in that direction in al-anon can you tell me, was there an aha moment that you went, okay, this is making sense. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And all I can do is control me. And I'm going to be okay with that and, 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 and see where this goes. Did you have an aha moment? My aha moment probably came in when I realized that there were others who were doing better, even though they were in the same situation than what I was. My aha moment came with, okay. I can breathe. I have people around me that understand my situation. They're going through it, and they're okay. I mean, it's a struggle every day for them because some of them, you know, their they're, they're children or their wives or whatever, they're still in active addiction. But nevertheless, they were still okay. They were living, and they were smiling, and they were enjoying themselves. That was my aha moment. Now, on this podcast, a lot of times we talk about uh, addiction. And the opposite of addiction is what, Dr. Matt? I think we'd say it's connection. And it sounds like, you know, that's what's what they're going through. So for your experience, I was just thinking the contrast of the two things you just said. You, you're a religious person who enjoys your, your uh, church's your church. community, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But even though those are loving, supportive people in your church— you didn't feel like you could really open up and talk to them because they didn't, you, at least you thought, thought. They, they wouldn't know, relate to what you were going through. Right. And, and, then, and so that's no fault of their own, but that, that's just how it was. When you went to Al-Anon, you were with another group of loving, caring people, but that connection empowered you. I could see as you were telling yes. that story, the smile that came to your face, a look of relief as you were remembering that feeling because now you're connected with other people that are going through the same thing. And you could see that they were a little bit ahead of you. Correct. They were doing well, even though they were still struggling with the awful addiction and with their loved one. It seems like that inspired you to, to connect with them. See, um, I perceive, I, may, I might be wrong, okay? I perceive that my church people, my friends, they didn't have the skills that I needed, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. They were loving me, and they were praying for me, and they were praying for my loved one. And that is wonderful, because that supported me, okay? Sure. That gave me the faith to continue and not kill myself, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but 
with my other friends, with the Al-Anon friends, it was a different support. It was, okay, they're like me. <sighs> they've gone through similar situations yes. as you, and they've dealt and with it. And I was it. not ashamed. I was not ashamed because they were going through the same things. Mm-hmm. And, they, 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 and yes. that's a powerful type of connection. You also mentioned Alateen, which uh, working a lot with teenagers as I do, uh, I know that teen therapy groups of all sorts are very powerful for for that age group because teenagers, they don't think us adults know anything and they may love us, but they don't really relate to us, but they relate to each other. Just like a, a mother who uh, and a wife, an adult who who is struggling with a loved one who has an addiction, yeah. uh, you're going to connect better with somebody who's in your position of life, right. Right. and that's a that is such an important part of healing is knowing we're not alone, and having somebody who can sort of connect and mentor us a little bit. This is what I did, and this is what we're doing, and that's that's why anybody who's listening to the show today, I really hope. Uh, you'll reach out and look at Al-Anon programs in your area because it's a powerful and unique experience that you can't get anywhere else, really. I mean, like you just can't, even with other wonderful groups like your church group or your neighborhood or your family uh, who all love you, but they don't have that same experience. Yes, and the tools and the literature and the programs that they have, they have a social program that they're going to have very soon. It's going to be a price you know, where you have connection and games and stuff like that. The Al-Anon has a camp that, you know, the kids do their own program. And it is, let me tell you, it floors you. It's fascinating because they're facing the same things and they had to make the same choices. Now, when the Al-Latin goes into these programs, our hope and our desire is that they learn the tools to cope with and break the chain. Yeah, yep. Break that chain that is going to make them free. And it's a, it's a beautiful program. And the beautiful thing also, like any other program of the 12 Steps, it's available 24 hours a day. It's available in any country as you visit. It's available around the world. And it is not, it is, you know, you don't have to pay anything. And there are meetings that are physical still, some are by Zoom, and some are together, you know, Zoom and physical. So actually, help is there. Help is available. So I'm going to have you do something for me because I think uh, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are loved ones of addicts and uh, don't know what to do, don't know where to go. So if somebody who's listening to this podcast right now has a loved one who's in active addiction and they don't know where to go, why would they – why should they go to Al-Anon? Mm-hmm. I believe that the 12 steps of all these programs and Al-Anon, of course, you know, are basic and they should be followed by everyone. They should be followed by everyone. But with Al-Anon and this program, um, it's a beautiful thing. It will teach you how to live right. And let me tell you the most amazing thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And that was the most difficult part of the al program. Okay. Something that it hit me between the eyes. How do you love someone and yet put your distance, okay, so that they can be okay and you can be okay? How do you love someone in spite of what they're doing. And the most interesting part for me, how do you respect their choices? That was the biggest lesson of all for me. How do you respect the wrong choices they're making? You don't agree with them. You don't bless those choices. You know they're going to have horrible consequences, jail, Prison, I mean, the same, jail or hospital. hospital. death. Death, okay? And yet, you still love them through all of that. But you're not an enabler now because you have the tools. Mm. You are okay in spite of what they choose. And to love them and to respect them. That's the most beautiful thing that you can learn through the Al-Anon program. And why should you go? Well, 
unless you want to go through the hells that I went through all by yourself. <laughs> there's no reason. There is help available so that you can be okay, so you can be healthy mentally, spiritually. So you don't have to live with that fear of <gasps> what are they doing, you know. Oh, my goodness, the control issues. So <gasps> they haven't come home. Uh, are they in jail? Are they in the hospital? Are they drinking? Are they in a crack house? Are they? And if you have the misfortune of watching someone overdose and you have no idea what to do, who to call. You don't want to call the police. You think you don't want to call the police, right? And you see them dying in front of you. Or you see them dying at the hospital. You need the help. And you need to go into these rooms. Let me tell you what I did too. And that's one of the things why now I serve. Okay, Once you have the tools, then you want to share with the whole world. And this is the hope that, you know, when I came here today to share with the whole world that there is hope available to all the families, all of the members of their family, because drug addiction, yes, it is a family disease. We consider that. that. Yes, and they start by choice. No, and sometimes it starts because you're sick and the doctor gives you medication Mm -hmm. that is stronger, and now it is not working, and then you go into another one, and now you're going to self-medicate, and it becomes a pain, any problem. Also, you ask, what is that moment for the drug addict? You know, when you said enough is enough. Sometimes it is jail, being there all alone, being there thinking about what you have done, realizing that you lost your children. That's a big aha moment. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or being in a mental institution. That's another possibility. Those are aha moments for the drug addicts. For the family, it should be an aha moment that I need help because I have a relative that is doing addiction and I don't know what to do. Walk into those rooms. It will take time. Read, spend the money, get the literature. But if you don't have the money, just attend the meetings. It is going to be great and wonderful for you. Well, I, I, you are amazing. And uh, I think this is going to help a lot of people out there. I really do. And uh, you did bring one piece of literature that you wanted to read. Uh, before we end the podcast, and it's called? Okay, this is the NA, Narcotics Anonymous, but I want to read it here because a lot of the times the addict and the families do not recognize that they're an addict. But it says, who is an addict? Most of us do not have to think twice about this question. We know our whole life and thinking was centering drugs in one form or another, the getting, the using, and finding ways and means to get more. We live to use and used to live. Very simply, an addict is a man or woman whose life is controlled by drugs. We are people in the grip of continuing and progressive illness whose ends are always the same, jails, institutions, and death. One more. As addicts, we are people whose use, who use of any mind-altering... Let me try it again. As addicts, we are people whose use of any mind-altering mood-changing substances causes a problem in area of life. You know, I, I read that when I was in recovery uh, and every once in a while in all the forums that I'm uh, signed up to on Facebook and Instagram, that pops up and I read it every time I see it. And I'm grateful that uh, I'm no longer in active addiction. Those def- yes. <clears throat> That definition is important to read because it can burst the bubble of denial. Exactly. The addict, the, the person using is always in denial in the beginning. This isn't a big enough problem. I'm okay. I'm just like everybody else. I can quit every time I want to. Mm -hmm. I still have a job, whatever their denial is. I said all of them. And (laughs) and the family. If you're a parent, if you're a spouse, if you're the child of an addict, if if your child's the addict, uh, the denial, oh, they'll be okay. They're just going through a phase. They'll Mm -hmm. grow out of it. They'll get it together. It's important to read that definition to keep, the reality, keep your feet based in reality, knowing that you, you or your loved one needs help. So thank you for sharing that. And Miriam, thank you for stopping by and sharing your story on the podcast. For those out there who would like help from Al-Anon, uh, you've said it before, help is out there, whether it's in-person meetings or Zoom. Uh, how do people find out where a meeting is and how they can get in, in touch with you guys? It's very, very easy. Google it. 
go and find, you know, any way to find information, all and on, it will pop up. And then it says meetings. And then you say, I'm not saying, but write down uh, where you live. And it gives you tons, tons. Let me tell you, even in Spanish, mm-hmm. Salt Lake City has a program that meets every day. Different people every day. That's so bueno. help is there. Muy bueno. <laughs> See what I did there? That was, that was some good Spanish, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I used to say, do cerveza, por favor, and don't be as de baño. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't drink important. anymore. I still need to know where the bathroom is. Yeah, you hold on to that second one, yeah. <laughs> Miriam, thank you so much. You were such a, a ray of light. Uh, I, I, we appreciate you taking time and coming by. And I think I'm going to ask her to start reading me bedtime stories. Did you see how? <laughs> like I was enthralled oh, with yeah. her reading. I yeah, mean, the actions, the, oh, the, the yeah. inflections. I mean, it was all there. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. It was an honor. And uh, thank you for stopping by and listening. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, KnowYourScript.org. Go check them out. And thank you for stopping by and listening to Project Recovery. In case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? You know, it's a KSL podcast, Casey. Bueno. Mm -hmm. Muy bueno. Muy bueno. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to... Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.